Welcome into the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Cubs Checking. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. Tony and Jackie here joined by these handsome men on my left, Andy Martinez, Lance Brazdowski. We're going to be talking all things Cubs prospects. Uh, Lance's prospect rankings are out very, very soon. By the time you're listening to this podcast, they will be live on MarqueeSportsNetwork.com. They also were out, Lance, on your Road to Wrigley show, you know, the week of opening day, you chatted with Jim Callis, mm-hmm. uh, but also you're up to top 30 now, so I not am. top 25, so we got more prospect content than we ever had before. And we used to be top 20, so this is truly an evolution right. of the list. <laughs> so next one, by this time next year, it'll be top 50, <laughs> no, top no, 60. No, no, no. Right. <laughs> one day you're just going to rank every single player. <laughs> yeah, exactly. from 1 to 199 or yeah, whatever yeah. it is. Um, all right, so Lance. Now that we have you here, we got to ask a hard-hitting question to okay. lead it off. What Cubs prospect has the best name? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think it's the ones that come to mind off the top off the top, top 30 list are Ballesteros, Moises Ballesteros. That's a good really one. Fun that's name. a good name. It's yeah. a good catcher name, too, specifically. Yeah, yeah. You can stick on the plate. And I also kind of like Porter Hodge. Yep, yep. we said that's, that. Ahead that's of this the pod, one that yeah. sounds just like it's it's tight. It's like a, a one syllable last name that like punches, and he's got great flow too in the hair. So I, I'm gonna go Porter Hodge and Biasteros. I think those are two good ones. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I remember we were talking also with Kyle Milanovic, our social coordinator. Uh, we were talking rock shoulders. I remember when he was at Kane sure, County Cougars. Yeah. Like he was literally a part of the minor league name. There was like a bracket, and he was he advanced to like the final four maybe oh, or so like good. elite eight. Uh, yeah, no, that was Sky fantastic. Sky Bolt was another good Sky one. Sky Bolt's a great, especially because he was really fast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If he wasn't fast, that'd be very Yeah, <laughs> if he was like a power-hitting outfielder or something, yeah, not, yeah, not a great yeah. name. Uh, but those names, like, stick out to you, too. Like you said, like Porter Hodge, he, he strikes me it very sounds much. Like a yeah. He sounds like a pitcher. He sounds like a guy that plays a baseball player in a movie. It's like a it's character's totally, name. Yes. Like Billy Chappell or whatever, right? Yeah. Like, that sounds like a pitcher's name. Like, Porter Hodge just sounds like a baseball player in a movie to me. Spot on. Um, all right, so serious questions now. Okay. We, we may have other fun ones if we think of them in the meantime. But, Lance, as you put together these top 30 rankings, like what stood out to you most putting these all together? Like, And, and how did this list maybe differ than mm. past iterations of the list? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that comes back to what we were talking about right off the top of this where we pushed from 25 to 30 prospects now. And it was a little bit difficult to rank, I'd say, between like 3 and 12 and like 13 to 29 like, there's a lot of overlap between those guys. This is something we emphasized on the show with uh, Jim Callis, our season preview, minor league season preview show, where, you know, we were talking about differences between our ranks. Say, I have K- Owen Casey, I believe, sixth, and Callis had him 13th. And that might look like a large difference, a seven-spot difference, where you're like, one guy's inside the top ten, one's outside. But we didn't really think that there was that large of an actual difference. So there's a lot of consolidation of prospects between three and, again, like that 13, 12 window, whatever you want to say in there. And then... The whole second half of that list, you know, I I rank them in my confidence of those guys jumping up, obviously. Like, Mm -hmm. I do think every guy in front of the guy behind him is better than that player. But there's really marginal differences between a lot of them, especially as you go deeper into the list. And that's partially why we went to 30, because those extra five, I think, are relevant and you have to talk about them. And if you leave them off, I think it becomes, you're looking at it, you're like, where's, you know, Kevin Mate or, like, Luis Devers won minor league pitcher of the year. How is he not on the list? Yeah. you kind of have to put those guys in, and right. it's it's a testament to the depth I think they've built up in, in this organization. So, did you notice any differences from the past in terms of how you put it th- put put it together and how you view the system, whether it was last year's rankings or the year before compared to this year, and, and how kind of uh, 
the finished product came yeah. to be. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, my, my list is very heavily relying on data. For the most part, I get sure. minor league batted ball data and pitch data from the minor league levels. And that is a, I'd say the differentiator if you're reading my list versus some of the others. I don't know if any other sites do. I think Fangraphs might, but I'm pretty confident the Baseball America pipeline don't. So they're basing it off a lot more scouting. And I think that's a key is to blend both of them, right? To have different right. perspectives. And I'm very heavily batted ball based. And I think... I don't know if there's anything that really jumps out, but I think the main thing is thinking about the organization as a whole, especially offensively, seeing the year-over-year growth from 21 to 22 um, on a particular stat known as XWOBA, which is very nerdy, but essentially you're trying to value offensive performance with things like launch angle, exit velocity that are a little more predictive. So if you're just looking at a pure batting average statistic, that's going to have a lot of noise year-to-year. So it could be 241 year, could be 280 down to 220. You might have very different perceptions of the player, but along the whole time, maybe that ex-WOBA is somewhere around, say, the 340 mark. So it's scaled to WOBA. So if 330 is the average OBP, anything plus 330 is really good. And the Cubs made a massive jump from bottom five in the league all the way up to the seventh. And I think that's a testament to bringing in Justin Stone and rewriting a lot of the programming taking a very systematic approach, developing hitters. And I think that that will eventually pay off at the major league level. It's one of those things where if you make that change, it does take some time to see the fruit at the major league level. I think that's maybe where fans get a little impatient in things. And this has happened to some extent on the pitching side as well, right? Breslow yeah. comes in. We're now kind of getting the wave. Like maybe Caleb Killian's debut didn't go as everyone expected. You know, we're obviously hoping he bounces back. But you have Jordan Wicks. You have other guys. Uh, Wes Neski's a great example. Traded, acquired into the organization. Ben Brown's a guy they're going to adjust, and we're going to see up hopefully later this year. Like, it takes a little bit of time for these things to happen. And the biggest recalibration for me was on the offensive side and seeing that they, as an organization, are hitting the ball hard at the right angles, and that is just going to mean more peripheral talents. Like, like a guy like Jake Slaughter is not even on this list. Yeah. He's already up at AAA and mashing. Like, he was a tough one to get on. I just didn't necessarily think there was a positional fit, but he's a testament to that offensive growth where he's a relevant player in the organization and he's not even on the top 30 list. Yeah, I mean, he had a like breakout 2022 season in double yeah. A, right? He yeah. was in double A last year. But uh, yeah, I mean, and, and I get it too, like 26 years old, so he's a little bit more advanced. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad you mentioned the hitting and because I, I think this would be a. It's a great segue into it, but like every rankings you've had so far, Lance, of this has been Brennan Davis, number yeah. one. Mm-hmm. PCA, Pete Crow Armstrong is number one now. I think everybody understands, listening to this, I imagine almost every Cubs fan has heard of PCA, uh, understands what he can do, what he can be down the line. But Brennan Davis is no longer mm-hmm. one. He's not even two, but he's all the way down to 10 on your list. Can you explain just a little bit about Brennan's drop and then kind of where you see things for him going from here? It's a great it's a great question. I think I've gotten asked that by other people who have already seen the list too. Um, it's a tough one because I think for me, again, I'm heavily based on the batted ball data. When he came back after the surgery last year, everyone in the organization I think understood that he was not at 100%. They wanted to, yeah. for him to get back, get reps. The approach was still there. The walks were still there. He looked relatively good, but the batted ball data took a massive hit. And for me, that's slightly worrisome in terms of having him above guys that are hitting the ball really hard, like Alcantara, like Owen Casey, absolutely matches. Alexander Canardo down with a big injury, but he had some of the highest rogs of velocities in the system. And I, it was a recalibration for me, kind of hedging against the possibility that maybe he never really recovers, which I'd hate to see. He's a really, really good dude, works really hard. Yeah. I think he's a, from also like from our side of the media, like just a guy you want to see succeed, especially at the major league level. So this rank is a bit of a hedge between potentially him not bouncing back. And it pained me to do it, especially seeing Jim Cowell still have him three on his list. But I I just am taking a little bit more of a cautious approach with that recovery. Um, I really hope he gets off to a hot start. The biggest thing for me is looking kind of mid to late this season. 
how is his body holding up and what are the exit velocities looking like even if he starts a little bit slow in iowa um i think i'm okay with that i i just really want to recalibrate at the end of the year assuming that this offseason he was able to build back up strength but it's just the slightest twinge of worry that it's not what we saw at the Futures game. And that, again, I'm, I'm bummed about it because I, I, I'm a huge Brennan Davis fan. It's just you have to get a little bit harsh when ranking guys like this. And I, I, took a, I guess I took a little bit of a negative angle on him. But for me, it's just a hedge between potentially the back injury being a long-term thing that always comes back and has some issues and him bouncing back. So I hope I'm wrong on this one, I have to say. Yeah, I mean, I think that's all very valid because it was a very mysterious injury yeah. you know i remember you talked to him last year right as he was coming back but just like i you know he was in pain didn't know why they didn't understand yeah. until basically they opened him up and, and figured it out you know and even then i figured it out is kind of a loose yeah. term so uh yeah i'm with you i mean i i totally understand it and i agree with you i mean he's a guy that like i've enjoyed covering the few times i've had to talk to him and he just seems like a guy that would be yeah. perfect in chicago it seems like the fan base would love him so i'm really curious to see where it goes and he's got that that confidence about him right yeah, that it's much. like he can he, he knows he can do it it's all about getting those reps so it's it's totally not out of the question too that while we are talking about this, it's not totally a question that he could go out there and, uh, and start in Iowa and just start mashing like he yeah, was pre-injury, exactly. right? And at the midseason update on this, I'll, I'll immediately move him back up. It's, right. it's really off that bad ball data for me, and I think that reflects a lot of the injury side for sure. So last year in your rankings, you have one pitcher in the, in the top seven, yeah. uh, Jordan Wicks. This year you've got three in the top five. Is that a testament to just the depth of the pitching staff and, and the overhaul that's gone in and just how healthy the organization is? Yeah, I, th- I think you see that more in the back half of the list. I think this top half of the list is more about the acquisitions they made and getting really good return for pros- – for not for prospects, excuse me, for guys like David Robertson who they had in a one-year deal, made a lot, lot of logical sense to trade. Same with Scott Efros. Yeah. Again, bummer he went down with Tommy John surgery, but that was the exact trade they needed to make to get talent back into the organization. And that's why you see Wisniewski at three and Brown at four for me. I really like both those pitchers. Wesneski's a little bit based off he's an interesting one because we knew he had the slider all throughout the minor league level when you're projecting starting pitchers in my opinion one of the first things you look at is kind of fastball performance and what that shape is that I think is the biggest predictor of starting pitcher success and in the minor leagues when he was traded he his fastballs weren't great he throws the cutter sinker four seam none of them were exceptional it kind of worked more off the sinker and the cutter the four seam wasn't great so I kind of hedged a little bit and was like, okay, maybe he's not a starting pitcher. But then you get him up to a major level, you see the execution on the big stage, and you see the location on the slider. For me, that's the biggest part of that slider. These sweepers generally are reliever weapons. He uses it as a starting pitcher because he's able to locate it so well, because he's had, from talking to him, the same grip for three years. And I think that's allowed him to kind of spur projections. And very clearly means there's a guy that everyone kind of missed on, so right. to speak. And I don't see much variance, you know, year over year for him. I think he is what he is. I think he's like a number three, maybe a high-end number four in the organization. It's I, I like that guy up there because I just think there's a lot of projectability to that profile. And Brown is a guy, maybe there's a little more upside to. Um, he's a through-and-through starting pitcher for me. He's the opposite of Wisniewski where he has really good quality fastball. So I'm very confident he is a starting pitcher and can maintain a starting pitcher. It's a matter of what the organization does with his breaking balls. Wisniewski is a guy that Andy and I have talked about just even on the season preview podcast about like, you know, I think we're both high on him just from covering him and talking to him. He seems like he has that yeah, factor, absolutely. that intangible. So like you talk a lot about data, but I'm curious, Lance, like mm-hmm. how do you maybe um, when you're considering these rankings, think about the like it factor, that's, that thing that you can't quite put your finger yeah. on that like Wesneski's brain seems like he is well suited to a big league career just in the little bit that I've gotten to know him. How do you factor that in? I do. Sometimes I don't do it as 
overtly on the list because sometimes I don't like calling out certain things that I, the guys have told me and stuff. The ones sure. that the one with Brown that actually factored in, I'll, I'll say the number four prospect Ben Brown was acquired David Robertson trade from the Phillies organization. He at Cubs convention told us that he's a guy who like tapes his mouth shut at night. To oh yeah, force air through his nose for better breathing. Yeah. And I was like. That seems really hilarious, and everyone laughed at it. But yeah. to me, I was like, that is the exact kind of guy that I want in an organization. Because, yeah. like, he's doing everything he can to, like, extract every bit of talent out of his profile. And those are the guys, I think, that have a better chance of hitting their higher percentile outcomes. Where if, you know, he does that, like, I imagine he's also a guy who's really inquisitive about other things mechanically. Or, like, what can I fix mechanically? Like, I can't imagine he's just like, just take my mouth shut, and that's going to make me a big yeah. you're like, this. <laughs> That's a pattern of behavior that I think is really important. So that's the one that jumps out to me that's like, I don't know if they, I put him over Wicks because of that, but I definitely thought about it in the Ben Brown rank. I, I mean, better sleep is, is important it's to huge better performance for recovery. Yeah. 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 And one guy that I talked to that does something very similar is Marcus Stroman, where he's mentioned he's gone underwater yeah. with his mouth taped shut to focus on breathing through his nose and, and having that center when he's out there uh, of breathing strictly through his nose and not being a mouth breather, as he called it. Yeah, so yeah. there is something to it for sure. Oh, I could learn from that. I'm a mouth breather. And I, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I think I'm right there <laughs> with you too. Um, you talked a lot about Ben Brown, but he, do you see him potentially being kind of like Hayden Wozniewski this year where he could come up in the rotation either later on in the year or at some point and kind of cement himself as a major leaguer? I think he can, for sure. I, I'm not exactly sure what the organization thinks about bringing guys up as relievers first. I know... This has happened in the Brewers organization a lot. Talking to some coaches in the Cubs organization and talking about some guys on this list, it seemed like they probably have a slant to bring a guy up as a reliever. Um, but I'm again going back to the fastball shape, how it works in the zone, his ability to command that pitch. He is a starting pitcher to me. I think it's very difficult. Like you look at most of the dominant relievers in baseball, they're usually throwing some kind of a nasty secondary in some extent. Um, even if they have poor location, it doesn't really matter for the most part. Like you look at Emmanuel Classe with like a really weird cutter, um, Edwin Diaz down for the year, but really nasty slider. His fastball's fine. He throws it hard, but I don't, I don't think Brown would be a reliever for long. I could see bringing him up into Keegan Thompson. He roll as like a multi-inning and then when a spot opens in the rotation, you got to give him a shot. But they did, they did bring up Killian right away and put him into the rotation. So right. I guess it's a matter of like. I think if that was also a, a, like, happens, right, right. Like Killian was out of necessity, where it's like yeah. so many injuries occurred that Killian just has to exactly. start because you need a body to actually start that day. Does the development line up with the spot open at the major league level? That's kind of like a weird equilibrium that struck. Otherwise, maybe he just pushes the envelope. They have five starters. He comes up as a as an in, as a multi-inning reliever, and then next year he gets the spot. But the reason I have those three pitchers, three, four, five, is because they are starting pitchers to me. I'd be shocked if they end up as relievers. Yeah, and just as a reminder, uh, the full rankings from Lance and analysis on MarqueeSportsNetwork.com. So three, four, five. Hayden Wisniewski's three. Ben Brown's four. Jordan Wicks is five. Uh, but Brown, obviously, with big risers, 13 on the last yeah. year, shortly after the trade deadline, shortly after the Cubs acquired him, moved all the way up to four. Daniel Palencia is another guy, mm. a pitcher also, but like he he made a huge jump from 18 on your last rankings yeah. all the way up to, what, nine now. Yep. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about like that huge rise in him, what – um, have you have you thought of him differently, or like can you maybe explain just that huge jump? Sure, sure. I think it goes back to what I was talking about with the fastballs, but specifically with him, I thought a lot about whether a guy can actually make it at the major league level with two pitches. And I think the answer generally is just no. But we've seen it with guys like Spencer Strider. We've seen it with guys like Hunter Green, where if you have an exceptional fastball and a really good secondary, they both have to be well above average. 
you can do it. And I've talked to like other pitchers about this, other coaches about this and stuff. And for the most part, most of those guys will turn into three pitch pitchers, but like Strider's starting to throw a change up this year a little bit. They tweaked it. Hunter Green's still primarily a two pitch guy from what I understand. And they are good at the major league level with two pitches because both those pitches are so good. They don't even really need to command them, so to yeah. speak. You just have to put them around the zone. This is where like Hunter Green kind of got beat up last year because he, he kind of wasn't able to put it over the zone. And he was in a weird spurt where when he did put it over the zone, it got hammered. But I think Palencia is in the mold of those two pitchers. I don't think he has as good as both those guys were as prospects. Strider might have been even a little bit underlooked as a prospect, and now he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. Yeah. But I think Palencia is of the same mold where it's a slider that especially can work versus left-handed hitters because it's not a big sweeper. It's kind of more of like, I don't want to say Drew Smiley, but it's it fades a little bit to some extent because it's more of just a pure football bullet, so to speak. But he's a guy that I, I personally view as a two-pitch starting pitcher, even with this kind of curveball he's throwing that I think is just more of a strike-stealing pitch. That's pure early in the count. It's not really a put-away offering. Um, does he go to a changeup? Does he go to something else? Sure. Maybe the organization really wants him to have three or four pitches. But, again, this is this is the probably the last guy here that I'm very confident is a starting pitcher. I think Horton's a starting pitcher, too. But I really like Palencia projecting him as a starting pitcher. And I also wanted to be aggressive on him because of everything I've seen in the data from how hard he throws, he sustains it, the shape's great, throws a really good slider. Like It's hard for me to have that guy outside the top ten. And he's also a guy that has that, you know, we, we talked about that it factor, whatever you want to call yeah. it. He also has it. I mean, he signed really, really late with the Oakland A's. He wasn't one of those guys that signed at 16 and has been in the system for a while. He signed at, I believe, at 20 years old yeah. and, and was laid into the organization. And, and is, you always get to look that way. He's kind of yeah. young in the sense of he's not spent a lot of time in affiliated ball, that that is also could be a help for him too, yeah. right? I, I 100% agree for sure. I think those guys get overlooked so much that they do end up in trades, like the Andrew Chafin trade that we got, Daniel Palencia as an organization from that's how you get those guys right no one's really on them no lists are really on them publicly but you see him you like him you think he could tweak a thing or two and then boom he becomes top 10 out of the organization all right we're going to take a quick break here uh when we come back we're going to hear more just about new guys added on the list some of the guys who fell maybe on lance's prospect rankings and also a few guys that we're going to see at wrigley field potentially later this season so stay tuned you've got the jersey the ball cap the foam finger everyone can see you're a chicago cubs fan from a mile away ready to take your look to the next level Upgrade your wallet with an exclusive Cubs debit card, which you can get when you open a Wintrust Cubs checking account. With no monthly fees, free ATMs nationwide, and a $300 bonus when you open your account. Start showing your Cubs pride with every purchase. Sign up at Wintrust.com Cubs. Only $100 required to open. No monthly minimum balance and no monthly maintenance fees. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. All right, we're back here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast. Andy Martinez, Tony Andreacki, and Lance Brozdowski, our player development analyst here at Marquee Sports Network. And again, we're going over Lance's top 30 Cubs prospect rankings. So, Lance, right before the break, we were talking about a lot of guys who, who were mm -hmm. big risers on the list. Uh, ben Brown, Daniel Palencia, Christian Hernandez, and DJ Hers were guys that both dropped equally six spots. Um, and you talked about, like, Kate Horton Palencia is kind of the, the line of demarcation where you see as starting pitchers. Does that mean you kind of don't think DJ Hers is a potential future starting pitcher? And, like, where, I guess, where did uh, your thoughts on him and Christian Hernandez change from last year? Yeah, I'd say that they both dropped more so just me becoming more confident in guys above them sure. rather than them having some skill decrease. With Hernandez, I think I've always been the cautious man on him because I think that the trajectory on a lot of these really young international prospects that get really high signing bonuses is you get, like, the roller coaster of a lot of hype 
Yeah. And the expectations were like, this guy's going to become Ronald Acuna. I mean, and Alex then Rodriguez no and Chris Bryant were thrown out both for him. Yeah, Exactly. And it's yeah. like, it, then you realize that like only Ronald Acuna is Acuna, and you're like, yeah. you drop down, and then it swings back up. There's a, there's a prospect in the Yankee organization, Jason Dominguez, who I think we'll see at the major league level, who went through this exact same trajectory. Where every, the Martian because exactly. he was so good. Everyone yeah. was like, it's Aaron Donald, the, the end for the Rams with a baseball bat. And then like, he kind of stumbled a little early, everything went down, and now he's like going to end up probably being a good major league player. And that trajectory for me, I just wanted to stay flat on it. So I've always had him between, I think, like 8 and 13-ish. Like, mm-hmm. I think he's good. I think he's really toolsy. There are things that need to change in his profile, and the organization, I think, is aware of this. Um, I think they've made some conscious efforts to reorient his swing a bit. Um, he's a guy that is a weird blend where you see like a really high K rate, but... He wasn't really chasing a lot, so they were kind of pounding him in the zone. He was missing pitches in the zone, which is a bit like a Chris Morrell problem to some extent where he doesn't make a lot of contact in the zone. And that's, again, something I imagine that Morrell's working at down in AAA. But with Hernandez, I see a bit of the same problem where, like, I want to see that corrected and then him to just mature physically. Sure. I think he can stay at shortstop, and he hits the ball really hard for his age as well, which I like. But I do think there are some swing and miss things there that are interesting to me. And I think I mentioned in the write-up of the list that, like, there's a few guys where I think after a month of this season, I'm the most interested in looking at what their performance is, like their average OBP homers, but also some of the underlying data. Hernandez is way up there because no longer do we have short season ball where he would normally probably go for a bit to start this year. He's going right to Myrtle Beach, and he's facing, like, Kate Horton's also going to Myrtle Beach. Kate Horton is a college reliever or excuse me, college starting pitcher who pitched in the College World Series facing Christian Hernandez, like, you, you're going to get, like, much better stuff than he's ever seen, and particularly guys who can locate that stuff. So the early part of this is going to be huge for us to just understand how he is and how he fares at Class A, and that is going to have a massive implication on his ranking from my, my perspective. So, again, I'm hedging against that. I'm keeping him where it is. I'm expecting him to kind of struggle at the gate in Myrtle, and I'm going to keep him where he is. Like, I still think he's, like, a top 15 prospect in this org, and until he kind of proves that he's matured and gotten past some of the contact problems, that's kind of the only way I see him jumping up. DJ Hers, yeah, I think I view him as more as a reliever. He's a bit of a multi-inning guy. He's had some command problems. Um, I, I'm a little torn, too. He's had, like, a really crossfire delivery. So if you think of guys who, like, land very linear, linearly, like, perfectly in line with their back foot, he is a lefty who lands, like, way crossfire. He's a little bit like Jake Arrieta in that respect. Yeah. That is something that I've heard other organizations talk about as not particularly indicative of starting pitchers. You don't see a lot of starting pitchers uh, who are kind of crossfire, par- particularly because it's one of those strings that maybe puts a little more stress on your body because you're not going – like think about stepping to your left and then trying to throw to your right. Mm-hmm. It's like guys who are very linear to the play often is the best way to just stay healthy to some extent. It might be a slightly incorrect in terms of how I'm phrasing it. but Also hard to just repeat that motion too, just yeah, for mechanics yeah. if, if it's something that's – more, um, I don't know, unconventional like that. It's just hard yeah. to duplicate. And it and creates you think a lot about of doing it like 85 times a, a day, yeah. or 85 times a day, not including like warmers or anything like that, every fifth day, that, that, that can create some, some bad habits or some, it, some injury. It's true. And I think it, it just maybe leans him more towards the reliever side for me. There's still a chance he ends up as a starting pitcher. Maybe they correct it and he's not as crossfire and it works just as well and he's a starting pitcher. And then in which case he'd come up on the list. But for now, I have him 15 ish and it's just becoming more confident in guys ahead of him. Another guy that took another big drop, Caleb Killian. How much of it was it an injury that he had last year that mm. kind of went undiagnosed? Or not? I don't want yeah. to say undiagnosed, but wasn't too aware that was causing the mechanical issues. And, and could is that someone that you could see either rise or or 
kind of move in the rankings and, and yeah. maybe explain that, that explains the fall this year? Yeah, the injury thing was real. He, I talked to him in spring training, t- and uh, he's talked to other people as well about how he kind of changed some things mechanically, just in how he moves and everything. Um, I'm still not totally convinced that the raw underlying stuff with Caleb Killian is good enough, which might be crazy for someone to throw 96, 98. But again, like looking at the underlying data of how those pitches move, um, I, I think he's honestly better served as just being like a cutter slider reliever and seeing if he could jump up to 98-ish averaging. Um, the command that he showed in the ability to get the ball in the zone, I think is making everyone believe he's a starting pitcher, but unless there's some shape change there where you're able to make the 96, 98 play better in the zone, I, I kind of don't really view him as a starting pitcher anymore, which might be crazy. And I know the organization disagrees with me on this. I've talked to a couple of people about it. Um, again, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a stand at him. I don't think he's not valuable. I just think the value has changed. If sure. that makes any yeah, sense. Right, right. Like I want to see him throw cutter slider at the major league level and just rip it and see if he can get average like 98, 99. And that would play. <clears throat> I don't want to comp him to like, in a minute class A, I mentioned earlier, who's like a big cutter guy in the Guardians organization. He's a great closer for them. But like, that is kind of, I think the trajectory class A took where he was like a starting pitcher, couldn't really command the ball. Nothing was great. And then all of a sudden it was like, here's this cutter, just throw it 70% of the time. Caleb Killian's cutter is great. I don't think other, any of his fastballs are, are amazing, you know? Um, and that kind of limits where I see him long-term. So I think I'm a bit of an outlier on him. I know, and again, I'll reiterate that everyone in the organization believes, I believe he's a starting pitcher, and I think they're treating him as a starting pitcher. I just think the best value for him is to be some kind of leverage reliever. Yeah, uh, you have Killian at 23. Um, but, you know, even as we're talking about guys who have made the drop, I'm curious about a few guys who are new to this yeah, list. Yeah. So I know we expanded to top 30, but there's five new guys. Yep. Cam Sanders is the highest at number 22. Porter Hodge, you already mentioned, great name. Yes. Uh, 25. <laughs> uh, Jefferson Rojas, 26. Kevin Made, 29. Luis Devers, 30. What about those guys stood out uh, to one add in the list? Obviously, mm-hmm. we're expanding by five. But also specifically Sanders, too. He would have been in yeah. the top 25 even if you had done it. Like, yep. what stood out to those guys? Because Sanders was a guy that Cubs didn't even protect in the Rule 5 this winter, but looked awesome in spring. I know. He's always had some command problems. Um, that is the thing for him to correct. But, again, I, the, the command floor to become a reliever is, I don't think, as high as many people realize. I love Cam Sanders because the fastball is good. He throws a nasty kind of changeup that acts like a splitter because of how much spin he's able to kill on the pitch. And then he also has a really good slider. It's rare to me that you see a pitcher like him have three pitches of this quality. Um, and at the end of last year, you start to you start to see as they moved into more of a reliever role, even to kind of multi-inning, that he corrected the ability to get the ball in the zone a bit. So that, for me, is giving me a little bit of confidence that he comes into this year and is just a three-pitch monster um, and can work in kind of leverage spots and maybe give them a little more length if they need it. But... I, I don't know. I don't view him as that. I think he's like a legitimately good reliever with three pitches, which I don't think you really see. But I think also that, that ability to turn over the splitter, the change, I think it's actually a changeup, but it, it moves like a splitter, so I always thought it was a splitter. But that is really important, I think, especially with the shift band, to be able to neutralize left-handed hitters and create swing and miss as a righty. Like, this bullpen right now doesn't have a lefty. Like, at the major league level, Mark Leiter Jr.'s splitter works as if he is basically your, your lefty, so to speak. Sure. But I think... Like splitters as a whole, as we saw in the World Baseball Classic, are a pitch that everyone's going to start 
maybe tinkering with more. It's one that is really dependent on finger length and also uh, the ability to spread your fingers, which is really weird. It's a really variable pitch. So are you asking prospects? Uh, I am. I'm asking them to see like, if they could wedge the ball and then keep it. And, and measuring their fingers. And I'm like, I have my timer right yeah. there. <laughs> but no, those are, those are two things that I, I understand as being very indicative of where you can throw a splitter. But again, Sanders doesn't even do that. He just creates so much depth that it can work in that way. I think getting lefties out as a right-handed pitcher is really important especially late in games, especially without a shift. And it's not even putting the ball in play, like not with a cutter. Like I want swing and miss from a righty to a lefty, and that's really much only done through a splitter or changeup. And this slider's nasty too. I'm betting that he finds enough command, gets up to enough of a floor of command that it's three-plus pitches as a reliever. So I'm a little more aggressive than the industry on him. He's also a guy that I'd say I brought in some anecdotal stuff. I think he's really, really sharp. Um, he's also a really good guy too. Like he's just, he's really cerebral around how he pitches and he really understands everything he's doing. So I've really enjoyed talking to him. So maybe there's a little bit of personal bias there and bringing him up to 22, but I think he's good. I think we'll see him at regularly this year. Yeah. And, and there was a great point that was made up about the value of having a righty like, like him and going back to Mark Leiter Jr. But yeah. in the sense that most teams don't like, if you have a lefty, the, the, the conventional wisdom is if you bring in a lefty to face a lefty, the opposing manager would be like, all right, I'm going to pinch it for my... Sure. Unless it's like Shohei Otani or Jordan Alvarez, someone great like that. You're going to pinch it your righty for him. Yep. When you, you're not necessarily going to do that if you bring in Mark Leiter Jr. or Cam Sanders or someone who can neutralize lefties and righties with these kind of pitches. So there's value in having a guy that can do that, especially in the reliever role like Cam Sanders can yeah, do. Yeah, I agree. You're picking a poison because I think both pitches are really good. So it's like you want the splitter or you want the slider. Like, it's your call. Like, just right. keep the lefty in, I guess. And right. Like, maybe you bet that he can't get the splitter in the zone. But I think he's a good pitcher. I really like him. So comparing this, comparing the, the, the overall 30 prospects, top 30 prospects to a year ago, just how does the system as a whole compare in, in those 12 months since, since last year, at the beginning of last year? Yeah, again, acquisitions are big here. I was at the top of the list for sure inside the top 10. Um, it's also just gotten deeper. There's just more names that you have to consider because I think, as I talked about, the offensive production and what Justin Stone has done. There's a lot of pitchers too. Like, again, number 30 on this list is Luis Devers who won uh, minor league pitch of the year, and I barely even had him on the list. I actually had I had him off the list. I had Nazir Mule on, who's a two-way guy that's really fun, but he went down with Tommy John. So I decided to bring Devers on. Um, and, like, he's 30 on the list, and he won minor league pitcher of the year. Right. And he also looks bigger this year. So if the velocity ticks up for him, he's a guy that I think could jump up probably a, maybe near Porter Hodge. There's just a lot of deeper guys in the system that have, like, a pitch or two that you're like, huh, I have to consider now what they do to him going forward and whether it's a starter or a reliever. Like if Porter Hodge finds some command, he looks he looked great when I saw him pitch in some live ABs down in, in spring training. Um, he's a sweeper guy, so I think that pitch is more attuned to being a reliever weapon. But I also like that he has it this early in his career and he throws it hard. Like he's 83 to 85 on it, which is a little harder than the average guy. So like I think he could end up being maybe like a Graham Ashcrafty pitcher. He's like a Reds uh, starting pitcher who's kind of popped last year, this year. Like cutter a little bit of sinker, a little bit of slider, and like can be a starting pitcher with that mix. It's just a matter of command. Like Ashcraft got to the level of command where he's putting everything in the zone. I think Hodge is still on the fringes of that. But there's so many guys like this where there's a pitch or two that you're like, yeah, I could see this turning into some kind of starter. And then if you have that thought in your mind, you have to put him up into like the 15-16s. And it's all a balancing act of that because the value of the starting pitcher is obviously much higher than that of a reliever, especially on a list like this. And on the offensive side, just like Biasteros is a guy who popped last year, hits the ball crazy hard, could maybe stay behind catcher and has some ability to maybe clean up the body a little bit to be even more of a strong prospect in the org. And if they view him as a catcher, the offensive floor is much lower. He could end up being a guy that, like, uh, there's a Pirates prospect, Andy Rodriguez, who's going to come yeah. up this year, yep. who's really good. 
And he's a great defender, but he's also a really good hitter. I think Ballesteros could be like, in a dream scenario, version of Andy Rodriguez where he's maybe not as good of a defender, but has more offensive power. And, you know, I, that's going to be really hard to not have that guy catching 70 to 80 games a year and then DHing in situations where, you know, you have a righty that you think he could hit. So I really like Ballesteros. So There's a lot of guys in the back half of the list that I'm like, yeah, like I'm excited to see their directory this year because I think they're good. What, uh, you know, and guys on the list, off the list, but which guys do you think will have the biggest impact at Wrigley Field this season? Let's exclude Hayden Wisniewski from this sure. list just because he's already on the big league roster. But, like, who are some of the guys that you think uh, Cubs fans should be on the lookout for and, you know, could possibly see making impacts at Wrigley this year? Yeah, uh, Cam Sanders is the one that I'm going to call off just because I think people don't really know who he is yet, but yeah. I think he'll be up this year. Um, Jeremiah Estrada, too, I still have at 27. That's a really, really strong fastball with a slider as well. He's always been a reliever. I know he's talking about fastballs predicting success in major leaguers, or major league starting pitchers specifically, but I think Jeremiah Estrada comes up at some point and gets some kind of leverage innings here, especially if they end up trading off of Boxberg or Fulmer as the deadline approaches, especially on one-year contracts. Or was One of those was two-year, weren't they? I might have mixed that up, but maybe uh, both one-year. I think they both are one-year. Both one-year, yeah. right? So they're both one-year. So again, probability there may be trade at the deadline is high. Um, so Estrada and Sanders are the ones I'd look out for. Ryan Jensen, too, is another one. We're talking about command. Jensen, unfortunately, probably has the worst command in the system on the top 30. Um, but his stuff is astronomical. Like, it is the it's raw stuff. He has the best raw stuff in this entire top 30. And it's he's just, on the 40-man. And he's on the 40-man. Yeah. It's just a matter of, like, it's a smaller body, really, really explosive delivery that I think it's always had problems controlling. And he throws multiple pitches, too. I'm not exactly sure if there's a push and pull between, like, reducing the repertoire, but... The stuff, which is just a combination of like release height, velocity, and how a pitch moves, is like it breaks it breaks systems based on when you plug it in and look at it. It's he's exceptional, but it's just a matter of trying to get him in the zone. So that is a rank that maybe is a little bit too aggressive, but I love his stuff so much. And this again, I'm so influenced by the data for the most part. I had to put him in, inside the top 25. So who are some of the prospects that just missed the list that that come midseason could be on the list? Hayden Wesneski will probably be off the the top 30 list at that point since he will have graduated. So who are some of those names that, that just missed? That's a good question. I gotta I try to think back to who I had thirty. Oh, oh, Riley Thompson is one. Okay. Riley Thompson was almost on the list. He's a bit of like an over the top guy. Kind of reminds me a little bit of like James Karinchak from the Guardians, yep. who's a reliever. But Riley's a little bit more of a starter. It's really over the top, so the curveball plays off the fastball well. But he also has the ability to throw a changeup. I think he's a starting pitcher, but he's ran into so many injury problems that I'm not exactly sure what the profile is. And I'm not exactly sure if, if any of those individual pitches is as good as some of the guys in the back half of this list, like Estrada's fastball, Devers' changeup, um, Hodge's sweeper. Like, I don't think he's in that window, but if he shows up at double A and jumps to triple A by the end of the year and looks as good as he did in the live ABs I saw him in, then I'm pretty confident he'll jump up. But, uh, but for now, I, I'm keeping him off at a little bit of hesitation for that. We've, it's kind of funny that we've gotten this far in the prospect list and we haven't even really talked Matt Mervis, like the breakout yeah, prospect yeah, of last point. year. And, you know, I realized as I was looking at the rundown too that, like, I didn't even think about him because it, it seems pretty, uh, in some ways, almost obvious, right? Like, he started yeah. the year in AAA. Um, there's a potential path for playing time. But, Lance, I'm curious from your mind, like, what he's ranked seven on your or sorry, eight on your list. What do you see as 2023 holding for Mervis? Like, when could he be up in Wrigley Field? Like, that, just all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I really like Mervis. Um, I struggled to get him higher than eighth because of the defensive position. He feels like a guy that in this org- that that this through three games of the major league season that the team needs. I think to some extent, like he went back down to AAA first couple of games, just absolutely mashed. I get he didn't really have the strongest spring, 
but that guy has the makeup as we're talking about like ben browns of the world and stuff who have that he's got the it and i just i'm convinced that he's a guy that's going to come up later this year and hit immediately and then all of a sudden the team has more power than maybe we were projecting it especially minus suzuki if you add suzuki back to this lineup you add a guy like matt murs into the lineup like i think you could stumble into guys who are able to drive in the swansons and horners of the world that obviously have the proficiency to get on base but maybe don't possess as as high of slug as we as most organizations would like for them to become like exceptional offensive players i really like mervis i'm i understand some people have him outside their top 10 because of the defensive position i'm more convinced that the bat is a major league bat um i will see if i'm wrong i know there's some other people that don't even have him like top 15 in in the system and barely i don't even think of him at top 100 but there's a little bit of an if factor there where i think I think he sees that. I think he's one of those guys that maybe like knows that and like yeah. it jumps his performance up a little because he's got that. Edge he's got. I think he's got a little sure. bit of an edge. Um, so I, as when he comes up, I'll say late May. It might be a little earlier than other people are projecting, but I think at some point he's pushing the, just forcing their hand. Um, you can't keep him in AAA for another half season if he continues doing what he did last year. In sure. my opinion, you got it. You got to bring him up and see what he is. Another guy that. You and I have talked about in the past plenty of times. Number two on this list, Kevin Alcantara. Yeah, for love this guy. What, like, what do you see in him this year? And, and and I think, I mean, you and I have spoken about it. I think this is a guy that by the end of the year, everyone in baseball will know him as a prospect. Uh, absolutely, yeah. I think he was a little overmatched in spring, and I I think that's also okay. Like, I get he's a forty man guy, so like maybe they want to accelerate the timeline a little bit. But he's still relatively young. Like he's been he was in the Yankees organization for a really long time. Um, and then he got traded like this. I think he was signed in 2017, if that's off the top yeah, of my head, that's right, correct. Yeah. Um, it's just taken him a lot to grow into power in his body and his speed. And it's a really electric combination. Like, the spring training talent that he saw was strong. Like, it's it's probably double-A to triple-A level for the most part. And he's starting at high-A. Like, he hadn't played above A-ball. So, like, I get that, like, maybe everyone wanted him to hit five home runs in spring. But, like... It's totally fine if he hits, like, 200. Like, all the tools were still there. He still has got, like, a gorgeous swing. He's really, really explosive. His speed is unbelievable. I think he's a good corner outfielder. Um, I think that he just goes to South Bend and does what he did in Myrtle. And he's hitting the ball harder. He's bigger. Like, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he's a guy who goes South Bend to, to Tennessee this year, finishes in Tennessee. It's just a matter of kind of dealing with some of the growing pains of him having a really long swing. Not long swing, excuse me. Long levers in his swing. I wouldn't say his swing is long. But he's going to get chewed up, up, and in by pitchers and it's a matter of like trying to make some kind of adjustment to either lay off those pitches or just accept them accept that you're never going to be able to cover that part of the zone because of how long he is um i really like him i think i think there's a i considered him above pca a little bit because of the offensive upside um but for the most part i think the floor on pca is just too high but these are the clear one two in the system and when i was talking at the beginning of this podcast about the separation between say three and 13 not being that big pca and alcantara to me are on another tier and then you hit everyone else on the list. These are these are the the keystone prospects, so to speak. I want to kind of put you on the spot a bit here too. We talked about Wesneski, but Javier Asada, not sure. a part of this list. Um, you know, he was impressive last season when he came up. Super impressive at the WBC. How did you view Asada, yeah. and what did you think about he was it? He just missed. Yeah, he was okay. Yeah, he's a just missed. It's tough for me because I don't think he's like a leverage reliever based on the pure stuff. Although he did kind of get up to ninety seven, ninety eight for yeah, Mexico, yeah. which was really impressive. Um, I'm to- I was torn on him on the role and if it's truly like a starting pitcher. The other thing, too, is you get into here of, like, some of the back half of the top 30 guys, leverage relievers. Like, I think Zach Lee and Jeremiah Estrada at 27 and 28 are kind of leverage relievers. And then 
like a number five starter that only pitches a couple hundred innings in the major league level and then kind of phases out of baseball. Like, I don't think that's more valuable than a leverage reliever or a guy who even pitches the eighth for an extended period of time. I just, I'm caught up on the role for a side. I don't know if it's a starting pitcher. It's kind of like, it's actually a little bit like Hayden Wisniewski, oddly enough, where it's like multiple fastballs, like forcing cut sink. Um, and I don't necessarily know if there's a ton of upside in that, but the upside clearly untapped into was the velocity side of things. Right. So, I don't know. Maybe I maybe I think there's a real case he could be 25 on this list right behind a Hodge. I think Hodge is a little bit more upside than Javier Asad will have. But, yeah, I guess that was just a personal thing um, of just kind of maybe seeing it already at the major league level and not thinking anything was like blow your brains out in terms of exceptional on the pitch shape side. But I think there's totally a case for him to be like 25, 6, 7 here. And I could, I could eat crow on that if he ends up being a great, a great pitcher for the Cubs for sure. We touched on those bottom half of the list. You mentioned someone like Moises Ballesteros, Porto Hodge. Who do you think is poised to make the biggest jump this year um, from, from that, yeah. that bottom half of the list? It's a good question. I think I think Ballesteros can really jump up. Um, I think the bat is good enough. And I guess we'll get better reports on how he is as an actual catcher. But if he's a catcher who's – if he's a good catcher and he's hitting, I think he just becomes Miguel Amaya to some extent. Sure. And he's younger. You know, and not the injury history that Maya has. I still have a Maya 16 on this list because he hits the ball really hard. I'm not totally convinced he's a catcher, but it seems like he is catching again, and I think we're trying to recalibrate how good of a defensive catcher he is. So I think Biasteros could easily jump up to be 15-ish. Ed Howard's another one, too. Ed Howard, right before he went down with injury, was hitting the ball harder than like most of the guys in the system, and it, that really jumped out to me in the data. It's yeah. just all, it was all on the ground. He had like a 60% ground ball rate. That's a guy that I think could very clearly be like a top eight prospect if he just comes back healthy and continues hitting the bar, ball hard and then starts to maybe slightly lift it more. Like that's in that's a shortstop glove. Like he's a guy that I, the hedge at 15, 14 for me on that rank is again the injury side. But I like I think people would be stunned to see how hard he was hitting the ball right before he went down with the injury at South Bend. He was a guy that if he didn't go down with an injury, I think would have been at Tennessee by the end of the year and been hitting relatively well. It's just all about him correcting where he's hitting the ball. It's easier to hit hard ball, ground hard ground balls if he can lift a little bit even if he drops how hard he's hitting it it's a it's a real good bat that was one of the ones looking at the data that i was like wow i didn't realize he was hitting the ball that hard and looked that good before he went down to injury which makes the injury just even harder to swallow yeah, yeah. but i i really like it howard i think he's a little bit slept on right now for sure yeah he's had a tough go of it right his senior yeah, season getting wiped out with covid but chicago <laughs> kid uh first round pick in 2020 so um certainly a guy that i know a lot of people yeah. around here would like to see you proven correctly with that that he jumps up the list. But Lance, thanks so much for stopping yeah. by. Like we really appreciate all the insight, um, you know, the ability just to talk more about this. And again, uh, go to marqueesportsnetwork.com for the full rundown, all the analysis from Lance for the top 30 prospects, uh, why everybody's there. The full write-up is, is on there now. So uh, thanks again for tuning in. That'll do it for this week's edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app and YouTube. For Andy and Lance, I'm Tony. Thanks for tuning in.